Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. So we've got some time together this morning, and uh, I wanted to have a conversation with you about a, a really taboo topic. Uh, this isn't a topic you'd want to bring up at a dinner party. And, and at dinner parties, we tend to stay away from certain topics, right? We tend to stay away from politics, although politics tend to make an interesting conversation. Why? Because people tend to be much more binary, much more black and white. They tend to be less awakened and more emotional, more inside their lizard brain as they have a conversation inside the topic of politics. Another is religion. When we talk about religion, there are going to be more people in the room who have difficulty uh, thinking about the topic in a rational way and instead put up their walls, their defense mechanism, and are partly inside that fight or flight or freeze part of their brain, that lizard brain. And so when we get into those topics, people are much more passionate and less rational. And hence, what you're essentially going to do is you're going to create a fight or an argument uh, when you have conversations in those topics. Today, I want to talk about something else. Now, this topic certainly comes up within political conversations, but it really is not a political uh, subject on its own. And the subject is abortion. And I want to note here, first, I'm just a guy sitting here in front of a microphone. And by being just a male, that on its own I need to uh, say that I am speaking as, as a male, and that means that there are certain perspectives and views that are, not, um, that, are, that are not part of this conversation. And that anytime we talk about abortion, we ought, and I'm not here, obviously, but we ought to include female voices uh, from both sides, by the way, both for and against. What we, I should also say here, because it brings this up within my mind as I'm saying it, we ought to recognize that the world's history has been essentially written by men, that the world's religions have been written by men, that the, the narratives and the myths and all the stories we tell have largely been written, published, interpreted, retaught, spoken about by men, and that throughout our world's history, it is, it is a man, a male, made narrative if we look at the world's history collectively, the written history. Now, there are other kinds of history. The rings on a tree, for instance, are history, much more unbiased than the written history of us humans. But males have created the story, and we, over the course of the next 500,000, 10,000, 100,000 years, we're going to slowly move to a space of more equality and allowing both men and women uh, and even people who don't label themselves either one of those to begin to have some ownership of the story that we tell. So having said that and recognizing here I am speaking as a man and I shouldn't be, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to talk about the topic and I'm going to try to talk about it from a different angle. I don't really want to debate whether abortion should be legal or not. 
I don't really want to debate whether abortion should be wrong or not. What I want to do is use this as a topic because it's so taboo, because it causes so much emotion in us, because we have so many justifications on both sides. I thought it would be interesting as a as an example of psychology to dive into this issue and to examine it as a as a rational, critical thinking human being. And I want to note here, I really don't have an investment in this issue. I know people who are pro-life. I know people who are pro-choice. I know people who have gotten abortions. I know people who went against the advice to get one and uh, their life, their life's joy is based on having made that decision. Uh, for the folks who have gotten one, I know that it seems deeply to them to have been the right choice at the time. And so I'm, I'm understanding of the stories, the personal stories and lived experience of people on both sides of this issue. I want to jump into talking about how we defend both pro-life and pro-choice and to talk about these reasons from a logical, critical thinking perspective. The, the question comes in, in when we debate this issue, both sides are so passionate that they are right and they each have a, a list of reasons uh, for why they feel this way. And so I just want to go through maybe a handful of these, and maybe we'll pick out a few others. We'll talk about them. Um, So pro number one, the U.S. Supreme Court has declared abortion to be a fundamental right guaranteed by the U.S. Constitution. In other words, it doesn't really matter what's right or wrong. What matters is that we have to follow the laws of the land, or we have to advocate for the laws to be changed. And so long as the law is in favor of a certain stance being right or wrong, we are obligated to follow that stance. Now, I, I agree with the premise, which is that so long as it's legal, like that's the argument, it needs, it, the, the buck stops here. And we ought to recognize, though, that some things that are laws on the books, for instance, as homophobia was much stronger in the past, there are many states that have sodomy uh, on their books as against the laws. And the reality is that once we understand the science of homosexuality and epigenetics and all that goes into why somebody is born straight, why somebody is born gay, and that we ought to make space for uh, folks who are acting ethically, who have consent to do things in their bedroom with, with the people they're attracted to as they see fit. So knowing that, we see that there are laws on the books that are, are not healthy. They're not conducive to a awakened population that understands that the human experience varies greatly, that understands the science or data behind uh, why someone is straight or bisexual or gay or asexual or uh, transgender or any of those other um, different expressions of being a human being, different expressions of the human lived experience. And to recognize too that it's not a slippery slope argument that um, often on the other side of this particular issue, and again, I'm getting off track, but it, it's to make a point that we often make this slippery slope argument that if we allow men to make love to men, then pretty soon we'll have men making love to animals and men la- making love to children, and such will be okay. Well, that that's not true. There are other principles that go into effect when you're talking about a healthy society negotiating what is appropriate and what is inappropriate to be legal and allowed and permitted within the lived human experience. And consent and integrity and uh, acting in healthy ways are all principles that have to be deeply uh, discussed 
and uh, part of those kinds of conversations. So just having a law in the books doesn't necessarily mean that it should stand unquestioned, but it also means that, hey, there's a process for us changing the laws and we ought to enter that process if the case is that this is something that shouldn't be on the books. So that's pro number one. Con number one, abortion is murder. And, and this one here is tricky. So this is, and, the, and these are listed to some degree, at least in the weight of the author, as the strength of argument. So as we get further down the list, they are more tangential and less directly applicable to the issue that we're talking about. But con number one is that abortion is murder. And the argument here is, is what is murder? And, and, and somehow we have decided, we've decided as human beings that our species is the most important species. Um, we have decided that uh, that we, we killing each other, that's the worst thing in the world you can do. You taking the life of another human being is the worst thing we can do. Meanwhile, we're eating our hamburgers, we're eating our steaks, we're eating our barbecued chicken, and, and not only animals, but we also have determined that plants are something other and they don't have uh, the ability to feel or to think, so they're free game. And what happens when we understand it in that way, like abortion is more murder, what, what we do is we start to decide as human beings what's most important and what's least important in terms of the hierarchy of species. And we've determined that we humans are the most important species on the planet because killing anything else is a lesser crime than killing each other. And when we understand it in that way, it's really not moral based. And here's what I mean. We humans are the most destructive species on the planet. We humans cause the most negative impact on the planet and on the other species on it. If we humans value life, then if we, like, if we truly value life, like we want this planet to go a million years into the future and we value the life on it to the extent that we want as much vibrant life upon the planet, then the best thing we could do would be for all humans to take their life right this moment because that is what is best for the planet. So if you truly say like, look, I'm going to decide this issue on moral ground. I am going to use my morality and I'm going to decide how I should treat human life. The reality is that humans are the least sacred life on the planet and that we would reduce exponentially the harm done to the planet and to other species upon it by the decimation of humans. And yet that's not the ground we take because none of us want to see us as a species be gone, at least not any of us who are trying to make the argument that we should be pro-life because abortion is murder. And so the moment you start diving into critically thinking about these issues and you start saying like, really, really, what is the high ground? It isn't that abortion is murder. We also would have to debate that when we take cattle and we kill them to make hamburger, are we not inflicting more trauma and pain on them than we do to a two-week-old zygote inside, uh, inside a woman as a fetus? And, and the reality is, if we're going to be honest about the science and the data, we are causing much more harm and trauma to life by the production of ground beef, 
than we are to any zygote in the first few weeks of development. And we can get into some of this later because it'll tie into other points, but there is science behind when a human life form, a zygote or a fetus or whatever you want to, what word you want to use, when it can both feel and process pain. And so much as there is not a cognitive awareness and it cannot feel and process pain, then it's going to be difficult to impose an argument that that trauma and harm is more significant than the harm we cause to animals that we utilize for our food. And we'll get to a part here. This all comes down to, if we understand the arguments, it all comes down to really whether there's a God or there's not. Pro number two, reproductive choice empowers women by giving them control over their own bodies. Again, I'll go back to the thing I said, which is that men have been dictating the rules and laws of the land. It is men that have written these rules. You go back to the Old Testament and it says that when a woman is raped, that if her rapist will go to that woman's father and pay him a certain amount of money, he can make right the sexual assault by having this woman then married to him. Let's stop. Stop. What woman wants to marry her rapist? And yet here we have men using the voice of God and in creating a story of laws, a, a narrative where the laws are that if a woman is raped, by a sexual assailant, that if that man goes to the father and pays him a certain price, that that woman then becomes his wife. When we understand that men have throughout history had women be their property, and that women have had limited power and say in their own bodies and in their own choices, we ought to recognize that we men need to get out of the way and we need to let women make this decision and not us imposing some of our religious absurdity on females in order to uh, impose the conclusion that we men collectively want. Again, we men have been writing the story. We men have been interpreting the stories. We men have been choosing which part of the stories to use and which parts not. And at every turn, we have diminished females, at practically every turn, diminished females, and turn them into property throughout much of human history. We ought to give women the choice, the chance to have the, we just ought to get out of the way and let them figure this issue out from this point of view. And I think there's a lot of truth to that argument. Con number two, life begins at conception. So unborn babies are human beings with a right to life. So there are often times that we don't give babies a right to life. If the mother's health is in jeopardy, we deem the, the, the mother a priority over the baby's life. So no matter what argument we make here, we ought to recognize that this is way less binary, less black and white than simply saying that a conceived zygote being labeled as a human life, like we ought to recognize there are there's a messiness to that conversation. Again, going back to, well, why do we value human life more than any other animal life? And we're gonna have to at some point set down our morality if, unless we're just going to point to God. And, and by the way, let's stop for a moment here and say, if we use God as the argument, what we're doing is saying that I already know the conclusion. The conclusion is there's a God and here's how he feels about this topic. So now all evidence must be filtered through that conclusion and must be utilized to support that conclusion. And any evidence that runs counter to there is a God and he feels this way about this topic is not important 
And doesn't matter how much evidence there is that it uses, doesn't matter how rational that argument is, it should be discarded. And the reality is that when we debate things, that's not the way it works. You don't get to um, make an assumption about something for which there is little to no evidence about. And then in the debate, use that conclusion as an end-all be-all for any other statement that you make. And so as we debate this in the public arena, as this debate takes place, we need to recognize why do you decide which life, which species life is more important and less important. And you're going to have to have a conversation about why you decide that. And at some point, you're going to have to admit, I'm really not making this as a selection of morality, but rather I have a belief, a faith belief that I know or believe deeply in is true. And hence, all my argument has to work back from that conclusion. So life begins at conception. Sure it does, but it, it begins at conception for all species. And so if, if we're going to allow monkeys to be in a lab and to have their, their organs tested against different medicines, if we're going to put mice and rats in a lab and we're going to test various functions of how they handle disease and illness, we're going to have to start to have a conversation about why we decide which life is more important and why we disregard the damage and the harm that we humans do on this planet. But the argument here in Con 2 is that life begins at conception and in a human, a human life has value. And so we ought not to ever end that life. But it also negates to have the conversation about the value of that mother's life and the, the life situation that she is in and the good or bad potential that comes out of, because we're talking about the human potential, that's what makes uh, the right to life, is that each human should have a right to have a life and to, and to have the choice and agency to make the most of it uh, and to do what they want with that life so long as they don't hurt other people. But we also ought to recognize then that a female mother who has conceived and who is considering abortion, that her life situation is deeply impacted by a mouth, another mouth to feed and by another child to take care of. And women are already deeply limited because of how reproduction works in that their potential to always stay at work, to always be uh, at work as often as a male in the course of also having children is deeply impacted by whether she has children and the number of them that she has. And so part of this com uh, compulsion to have women have babies and have lots of them, and to certainly not reduce the number of children they have in terms of using abortion, is another way in which men stay on top of the world and women stay to some degree one step below or many steps below. And so a woman having the ability to direct her body in a way as to be able to match the male in being able to be at work or be as productive uh, in the secular world as the male is, is, is something that we ought to recognize and at least hear out in the conversation. And I would argue, give these females again, the, the space and the power and the healthy opportunity to control the productivity of their life. Pro number three, personhood begins after a fetus becomes viable, able to survive outside the womb, the womb or after birth, not at conception. So the, there's this argument that a person is not a person until they're able to live for themselves. And until a, 
a zygote becomes a fetus and as a fetus uh, becomes a, a thing that can live outside of its mother's belly on its own, then it isn't personhood. And there's some truth to that because a lot of the legal laws that are on the books uh, don't honor a zygote or a fetus or a uh, even to the degree of an unborn child as being able to dictate to any degree its own choices because it can't. It can't make its own choices. Um, the debate of when a human becomes a human is is way more complicated than my pay grade. And I simply would just want to throw out, like, while this thing says personhood begins here, the reality is that it, this isn't binary either. And there really isn't a set in stone answer. And that that we're using a legal term to apply to when something has enough humanity to it, enough consciousness to it, to be human, to be conscious, is a difficult and messy conversation. Con number three, fetuses feel pain during the abortion procedure. We do know that at some point along the development, and I don't remember what it is, but it's eight weeks, nine weeks, ten weeks, that that the zygote does respond to being poked. So when a needle goes in for certain procedures and bumps into the body of the of the of the unborn child, that 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 entity reacts to the poke with a reflex. Now we also know that there is not a connection yet to a cerebral cortex so as to allow pain to register to the brain. And so scientists who are involved in this issue are debating often what is the definition of pain, what is the definition of feeling pain, and it goes into this conversation. But most scientists agree that in the early weeks and even month or two of development, that this entity does not have the ability to register pain such as it hurts. Rather, there is a point where it develops a reflex and then weeks, if not a month or two later, it develops the actual ability to register pain. And so there is a, a deep debate that goes on between late-term abortions and abortions that take place in the early weeks or month or two of uh, after conception. And so, again, if we're going to be rational, logical beings, we need to dive into the data. We need to make ourselves aware because if we're for or against, if we're pro-life or pro-choice, whichever stance we take, there is a messiness to the data in the conversation. And we ought to be data-based and we ought to recognize the arguments on all sides, and we ought to understand what it means to navigate this issue. Pro number four, fetuses are incapable of feeling pain when most abortions are performed. What they're saying here is that other than late-term abortions, other than anything after the first two months, so anything at the two-month mark or before, the science says that fetuses are incapable of feeling pain when most abortions are performed. So again, if we take harm, trauma, pain, negative out of the equation, does that change the rightness or wrongness of allowing a woman to choose to get an abortion? And I'm simply saying here that the science backs up this idea that under two months of age, a developing fetus doesn't feel pain. And so we need to include that data in the argument that we make, either for or against. But then how we use that imposition, how we use that piece of data, also needs to be done 
uh, in rational ways. And we, we need to be very careful that we don't extend arguments too far. Con number four, abortion is the killing of a human being which defies the word of God. And again, I only say here that when it comes to, I don't, I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist. And I used to believe deeply in God. And so I used to be deeply pro-life. And today I am pro-choice, but I don't, I'm not passionate about this issue. This isn't an issue that I spend any time on in my private life fighting for or against. So it was an easy one for me to take and be a little bit of an outsider on. But I don't believe in God, and, and I don't think there's really any strong evidence for God, and, and there are lots of arguments against, and, there, and whatever God you believe in and whatever God narrative you hold on to, there is plenty of criticism to deconstruct that narrative. And, and so once you let go of God, then the idea of pro-life and pro-choice takes on a completely uh, different context. And so abortion is the killing of a human being, at least by a standard that humans are human the moment that conception takes place. But the trouble with the word of God is that we often are for or against various pieces of the word of God, even as every Christian. So we could line up a thousand Christians, for instance, and I'm using Christianity as an example because this debate takes place in this country where most religious people are Christian. And um, as we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, we are all if you talk about believers, we are all picking and choosing which of God's laws and statements we are adhering to. We are picking and choosing to which degree that we adhere to them. So for instance, the, the Old Testament says things like, you shouldn't mix certain kinds of fabric, or you shouldn't eat certain kinds of food. And yet, almost every one of us are disobeying those rules to some degree. And so which rules matter and which rules don't? comes into the conversation if you're a Christian and you're imposing that abortion is the killing of a human being which defies the word of God. And and the, the recognition also needs to happen that when we look at the Old Testament, or the New Testament for that matter, but when we look at the Old Testament and we say, here's the Ten Commandments, and we say, like, why does God take these ten things and a lot of other serious stuff gets no conversation, and why are rapists permitted to pay off their victim's father and marry that person? Um, and why does God not seem to speak out against things like that and allows those to be incorporated as part of his word, whether intentionally or not? You see, the messiness of how we humans, when we say that we are made in the image of God, the reality often is that we created God in our image. And if you're going to deal with the word of God in, in real authentic, transparent ways where you are open and honest about the messiness of what is written and what isn't and who wrote it and why they wrote it and where did these ideas come from and how were they passed down and what kinds of embellishments and false stories get added along the way. It makes this conversation much more complicated than simply slamming your fist down on a table and saying God said so. And if you're going to be a rational, logical thinker, then you're going to have to dive into these arguments and you're going to have to sit down with the person who disagrees with you. And you're going to have to hear why your ground isn't as accurate, isn't as data-based, isn't as common sense as you think it is. And it sure as hell isn't as black and white as binary as you think it is. 
Pro number five, access to legal professionally performed abortions reduces maternal injury and death caused by unsafe illegal abortions. If you make abortion illegal, women are still going to go get illegal abortions and those aren't going to be done in hospitals and they're not going to be done with the latest technology and the most up-to-date training. And so if you value human life, pro-lifers, if you value human life, then you're going to have to take into account the health and well-being of the mother. So argument here on Pro 5 is is something that needs to be in the mix and be understood on both sides, specifically that if you're going to argue that this baby is a human life and any pain or harm done to it, then we also need to recognize the risk and the trauma and the harm and the danger in making only illegal abortions the only accessible option to a female who has found herself in a situation as to be pregnant and absolutely not wanting that child. Con number five, the decision in Roe versus Wade was wrong and should be overturned. That's an opinion. You can say it's wrong and it should be overturned, but you need to supplant that with an actual data-based argument. Otherwise, I can say anything. I can say that Big Macs are wrong and they shouldn't be made by McDonald's. I could say that vegetarianism is wrong and everyone should be a meat eater. And you don't get to just impose a point of view without a deep data-based argument um, that, that explains why the other side is incorrect and why you should have this change happen because it's the right change to occur. Pro number six, modern abortion procedures are safe and do not cause lasting health issues such as cancer and infertility. So let's recognize that. We live in 2020. The medical procedure is so tuned in both with tools and training, that there are little to no uh, lasting health issues on the mother and that the procedure is, for all intents and purposes, safe. Con six, abortions cause psychological damage. I think both abortions cause psychological damage and being compelled to have a child you don't want to have is also psychological damage. And the moment you acknowledge that there is risk on both sides of this, for psychological damage to occur, then simply throwing out one side of the argument becomes a fallacy and it becomes a emotional argument rather than you being honest and authentic to the strengths of your opponent. That said, there is data on this side of the argument. Um, there is some stats that say women who have an abortion are 154% more likely to commit suicide than women, women who carried to full term. But even that data is um, skewed. Because there are emotional reasons, there is cause and effect, and we don't get to determine what the cause and what the effect is for why women who are in a position to have an abortion have an abortion. And when we compare that to the general population of women who carry to full term, which is all the women who didn't even consider abortion, it certainly makes more sense that suicide would be much lower among the general population of women who carried to full term with a few who considered abortion and the majority of them who never even thought of it versus the select portion of the population who chose to have an abortion performed. And when you understand how data can be used and misused, you're much more apt, you're much more prepared to enter the conversation and to only allow the data to mean what it can be used to mean and not to overreach. Pro seven, women who receive abortions are less likely to suffer mental health problems than women who are denied abortion. So there's a data point. 
Con seven, abortions reduce the number of adoptable babies. That's true. That said, there are also a ton of children in the foster care and adoption uh, segment of our society who are being skipped over and who end up in less than healthy homes. So while I agree that there's a smaller number of adoptable babies, the reality is if we look in the world, there isn't a shortage of children who need a good home. So again, understanding these arguments inside and out allows you to have a healthier, more balanced conversation. Pro 8, abortion gives pregnant women the option to choose not to bring fetuses with profound abnormalities to full term. Con 8, selective abortion based on genetic abnormalities is overt discrimination. In other words, if you choose to abort a baby that has abnormalities, you are discriminating and discrimination is wrong. And the reality is that when you understand the difficulty uh, in some people's lives in, in this particular arena, I, I would want to steer completely clear of deciding for any human being what they should be forced to enter into a life contract to deal with and what people should have the freedom to uh, prevent them from having to deal with. And that this issue, again, is messy and complex. There are lots of other points too, and, and as we get further down the list, um, I actually find that the cons, and we can dive in if listeners are enjoying this episode and you want more of this, I'll dive into the other six or seven of these in a second episode. I, just, I don't think there's a need. As I, as I found myself reading the last six or seven, I found that I was able to pick apart the, the logic, because it wasn't logical, about the cons in the last five or six, and less so with the pros, although there is a little bit. But these become weaker arguments, and it's the reason they're further down the list in numerical order. But I simply want to say that as we've had this conversation today, whatever your feelings are, whatever you felt poked about, good or bad, you you got excited because this opened your eyes to a, a new way to dive into an issue and to think about it, or whether your own personal ground was in conflict with the things that I said, I would suggest you reach out to me and you can email me and the Almost Awakened podcast uh, through the email almostawakenedpodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. I'd love to hear what things you would point me to to help me reformulate my mind. I'm happy to look at these ideas from a data perspective and to decide what is the more appropriate way to handle issues like this. And I hope that in the future in the Almost Awakened podcast that we'll go into other issues that are taboo because the way us humans learn from each other is to hear about the messy uh, lived experience of other humans. We have so many taboo topics such as sexuality, um, things like abortion, things like divorce, things like the difficulty in relationships and marriage, the difficulty in being a healthy parent to a healthy child. And I hope that in the future we can tackle these topics. I'm also, I want some of these episodes to be monologues, such as this one. I also want some of these episodes to be interviews with others. And so if you have an expertise, if you have an interest in a certain topic and you think that you can speak coherently on it, I would welcome you reaching out to me at almostawakenedpodcast at gmail.com. And I would be uh, ecstatic to have you on and for us to have a, a long form conversation around any issue. Uh, most of these episodes are kept to an hour, but I'm more than happy to go two or three hours in an interesting conversation about an interesting topic. And so I look forward to hearing from you. I'm glad you joined today. Appreciate uh, you listening. I hope that this episode was enlightening in some way to you as you 
become Almost Awakened. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsense spirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director, Brittany Hartman. 